Hi, welcome along to the RT Soccer Podcast. I'm Raf Giallo alongside Jim McMahon of RT Sport Online. And this week we're joined by Gary Rogers and Conan Byrne. Plenty to talk about between the Women's European Championships, which has come to an end, and England have won. I'm not going to say the three words that I think are expected of me, which I think got out of the system uh, <laughs> before we hit record. We've also we're also going to be talking about the uh, Irish clubs in Europe because three are remaining now: Shamrock Rovers in the Europa League after. Uh, falling out of the Champions League and then of course Sligo Rovers great week for them last week except in the uh, FAI Cup and then St Pat's also making their way through and then also we'll be previewing the Premier League season so lads welcome one and all and Jim I know you were up in Sligo at the weekend so I'm sure mm. the, the mood was brilliant other than the cup game. Yeah it was all going well until about whatever time uh, coming up to 9pm last night when when the uh, that shock came. Uh, it was uh, unexpected. But yeah, I mean, as people were saying, like uh, the showgrounds, and I think, Gary, you might have been in the showgrounds last yeah. Thursday. Uh, the place was hopping. I don't think the place has hopped as much uh, for many, many years. And certainly, as Harold Macmillan said, about a week being a long time in politics, I think two weeks has been a long time for Sligo Rovers after the abject display against Bala then to come back and show uh, the determination that they show to get past to get past Motherwell in, in the Cup. And likewise with St. Pat's, uh, for them to dig in against Moura. And uh, I think even though it was on penalties, but uh, I think by and large, they deservedly went through to the next round. Uh, so it was great week for the minnows of Irish football as they've been, as they've been uh, dubbed elsewhere. So, yeah. Plenty of uh, scarves and flags around statues in Sligo Town, but um, somewhat disappointing. And likewise for Pats, that both clubs went out of the FAI Cup because it is an avenue back into Europe. I mean, you win the FAI Cup, whether you finish last in the first division or the premier division, uh, that guarantee, guarantees you a place in the conference league. And I think for Sligo, because last year they went out at the same stage to Cork and the, who were uh, first division Cork as well. So, uh Mainly the good, but with a, a little bit of a disappointment for both Pats and Sligo after the great Thursday that they had. Yeah, we'll be talking about that very shortly. But first, we are going to talk about the Women's European Championship final. England beating Germany 2-1 after extra time. And Germany sort of hamstrung straight from the beginning. Alexander Pop, their sort of leading light during the tournament, uh, getting ruled out due to injury just before kickoff. And then there was a potential handball for Leah Williamson in the first half, which maybe if Germany had taken the lead, as some prediction had said, maybe they would have been able to hold on. But then Ella Toon with a well-taken goal, Kira Walsh with a great pass, and then Lena McGull uh, equalising for Germany before, you know, these type of finals and the tense games you get. I think the scrappy goal by Chloe Kelly at the end kind of sums up what a, a cup final can be like. So England winning their first major tournament in quite some time in either the men's or the women's game. So let's just listen to reaction from Lisa Fallon and Karen Duggan and just how they viewed the final on RT television. They've waited such a long, long time for it to come home and they've finally brought it home. And that 1966 victory has sat like a black and white photograph in English football for so long of what victory looked like and they finally brought it to life in full colour and I'm so happy for so many of those players because I know what it means, I, I know what so many of those players have gone through to get to that point today. They've shown so much resilience, they showed physicality, they showed cynicism today, there was creativity. Um, they just so showed 
everything required by a great team to win a tournament against a great team. And they delivered that today. And I think it's momentous for not just football in England um, or for women's football in England. It's uh, going to be a big knock-on effect here. And I think it shows that the investment that was put in in the, in the game in England has transferred into success, real-life success. And I'm just, I'm genuinely really happy for them. Um, I, I really am. And I think a lot of that, Karen, is down to what they've been through. You know, you look at the, the likes of the Ellen Whites, the Lucy Bronze, the Jill Scotts on the field. They've lost multiple semi-finals. you know, to get to a final, to finally deliver for those group of players is... You, you can see these scenes. Yeah, they're the ones with the tears in their eyes. They've been through the hurts, so they know what that feels like. And they've been able to bring that passion into a squad of really exciting young players as well. Even Leah Williamson, she's very young. She's led by example. And they deserve these scenes. I, I don't think I've ever seen something as written in the stars. I think as soon as that penalty <laughs> wasn't given and Pop was out, it was always meant to be England's day. And looking at these scenes, you're, you're happy to see it because, like it, it, you say, it is so close to home and it could have such a positive impact over here. We hope as well. Okay, so that was Karen Duggan and before that, Lisa Fallon. Now, we're going to talk about that sort of knock-on effect from an Irish perspective of something Louise Quinn was speaking about on Saturday Sport on RTE over the weekend. But, Conan, I know you were keeping an eye on this final and, you know, it was sort of typical of a major tournament final in that, in terms of the quality, it was nowhere near as good as some of the games earlier in the tournament. But in terms of tension, it sort of made it exciting and it was two really good teams sort of slugging it out. Absolutely, yeah. I sat down with my two daughters and something that they look up to hugely throughout the tournament has been able to see role models on the football pitch. And I think on the balance of play over the course of the hundred of, of in the course of the 120 minutes, I think England deserved to win. Um, you talked about Ella Toon's magical finish, it was a brilliant goal, brilliant dink over the goalkeeper. But I think Serena Weigman deserves all the credit for the the impact the substitutions made in the game. Um, you're taking off ultimately the player uh, of the tournament um, who scored all your goals, who's created mo- who scored most of your goals and created most of created most of your chances as well for Ella Toon. And within even that is a brave move in itself, considering the amount of goals and how how well she's done in the tournament and bringing on Ella Toon. And six minutes later, she does she pulls off a, a goal like that, which was absolutely remarkable. Um, but the camaraderie within the group as well. Rafa was was evident in when they when they lifted the, the trophy. Obviously, Leah Williamson lifting lifting the trophy, and then straight away she hands it to the senior players that were standing behind her. It's just a just even that as a captain to be to, and showing that leadership and uh, togetherness within within the group is so vital. And um, as I was talking about uh, Serena, there she's her record since she's gone in as as England boss has been remarkable. Like uh, twenty games, eighteen wins, two draws scored 105 goals. So it was, we talked, I think it was Elisa there or, or Karen who talked about Pop and, and the penalty incident being written in the stars for England. But I think you have to look at it on the, on the whole tournament. And I think on the balance of play and, and over the course of the, all the games, I think they're fully deserving winners. Yeah, I think there was the game against Spain where they were um, sort of on the on the ropes, um, so to speak. Spain sort of outplaying them and dominating possession, but they still found a way through. And then as we saw against Germany, Germany played quite well despite some of the disadvantages they had to put up with, like losing their best player prior to kickoff. But as you said, Serena Wiegmann, one of the best managers in the game, had won the European Championship with the Netherlands in 2017 and then to follow it up and in between times taking the Dutch to the World Cup final too. So 
Um, obviously, she's going to be carrying England to the next World Cup and they're going to be a, a serious prospect there as well. But on the final point that Karen Duggan made there in terms of the the knock on effect for, you know, the women's game here in Ireland, uh, Jim, you know, it's uh, it's something that Louise Quinn was talking about on Saturday Sport, as I said, and I think we've already started to see it. She made the point about Tala being sold out for this Finland game on September 1st. And obviously, given the crucial nature of those games, getting a massive crowd in is important, but it it, it sold out within hours. That tells you mm. where the interest levels lie at the moment. Yeah, and I mean, I'm I'm sure maybe if the game had gone on, even though I don't think it ever would have gone on in the Aviva Stadium, uh, I'm sure the the Aviva Stadium could have been. Not sure whether it would have been packed, but it, it could be very well close to being packed. And I think the fact as well, Raf, that the World Cup itself is only just one year away. It's in August of next year, and we're right. You know, if we can get to a playoff, uh, you know, we we. We could be fancying ourselves uh, maybe to, to make that and uh, finals, you know what I mean? So I, I definitely think, I mean, people like, I mean, the, the names of Irish players, I mean, people now, Vera Powell, for example, her name is becoming, is coming into the mainstream that people know if, exactly who she is. Um, if you look at the League of Art, if you look at the Women's League, the Women's National League, you know, coverage on TG Cahar, getting that type of exposure um, as well. Uh, if you look at the strength of the Women's League over in England, for example, you know, it's probably probably goes without saying that that is the best league in Europe, maybe the best league in the world at the moment. So definitely, I think that the women's football as a global sport is one sport that has the capacity to really to, to really grow more and more as the years goes on. And, you know, and I think for us here in Ireland, if we could maybe make a major tournament, whether it's going to be the World Cup or the next Euros, which is only going to be in three years, uh, I can think. I, I think the growth of the game in this country will really expand as well. Yeah, and a last word on England, uh, Jim. You were reeling off a few stats um, before we uh, before we hit record in terms of like where this fits into their history. Obviously, as we know, yeah. 1966 always looms large for them. Yeah, 1966. Yeah, it, it was funny uh, because on the same weekend in 1966, the English men won the World Cup. They won it on the 30th of July, 1966. And they beat the Germans, and that game too went to extra time, just like yesterday. So perhaps it was written in the stars that England uh, would get over the line and bring it home, even though they've never won the tournament before. So I'm just wondering how they could bring it home, but but it's home in some sort of a way now. But anyways, I don't think we'll get too fussy about that. Yeah, bring it home. That's a different spin. On, oh, sorry, that uh, bring it phrase. home. No, no, don't say bring it. it, don't it say no, it. no, okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's been it's been said it's been said enough but anyway um more importantly at home here um there has been you know three clubs who have advanced in europe shamrock rovers in a very different way obviously dropping out of the champions league going into the europa league which we'll, we'll talk about them very shortly but i think the story of the week really was like rovers you know they'd gone away the previous week and won one nil at motherwell and then the challenge was how were they going to Obviously, Motherwell had seen the Sligo threat now and how were they going to respond to that? But instead, Sligo beat them 2-0, 3-0, winning 3-0 on aggregate and then booking a place against Viking Stavanger in the third qualifying round of the Europa Conference League. Great achievement for them. And also a guaranteed 550,000 of prize money as well, which 
um is another little bonus as well but um gary i know you were you were up there for the second leg uh, as well as the first one so how did they you know we were talking to um graham gartland last week in terms of how they should manage this um second leg and a lot of it was about the need to mix up their game you know it it shouldn't just be you know progress it shouldn't be just be progressive they have to be able to fight as well at the same time um in another way so how did they do it and uh, what was it sort of built on yeah well, look the, the most important thing is that you don't cough up possession in european ties and say listen you know we've got one in lead here and we, we sit and protect it i think you've got to take it in the game in blocks and obviously sligo started the game really well and we're comfortable and composed I think, you know, a lot of things feed into the results. It's perfect timing. Like Motherwell are just coming into the season as well. But like, not that Sligo didn't deserve it. Sligo were absolutely the best side over the two legs, both home and away. Motherwell were probably slightly better in the home game, but in, certainly in, um, in the showgrounds, Sligo were, you know, full value for the win, managed the game really well. Shane Blaney obviously sticks a free kick in the top corner. I think, you know, it's a it's a brilliant strike. You look at the distance; it's out. Um, I think he probably caught the keeper by surprise. I think the keeper would be disappointed with that, but take nothing away from the finish. It was a magnificent free kick. But like Sligo didn't panic; they were very composed. I think Luke McNicholas in the goals didn't really have a really busy game. He had a really good solid game without making say an eye catch and save where he was excellent in the first game. Obviously after Ed McGinty leaving, it was a big big step up for him. But came in did really well. Um, but like overall, like Aidan Keane, the, the goal that he put in for Max Mattis for for the you know for the for the second goal was fantastic. He in the game he was brilliant. Fitzgerald on the wing, you know you look at the players that they had with pace in wide areas and they were really able to you know to hurt uh, Motherwell. I think Motherwell at the back were a little bit iffy and and struggled struggled to 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 deal with Sligo and Sligo's threat throughout the game was a constant uh, problem for Motherwell and, and I think that's what. Ultimately, you know, they were able to capitalise on the uh, and get the win. And um, so, it's like Sligo and John Russell and his team deserve great credit for the obviously the job they've done, the homework they did, and the and, and the way they went about managing the game and, and the players then to go and put that game plan into effect. Like Dave Colley and McDonald in the midfield worked tirelessly as well. And like when it comes to European football, you can't have passengers, and there were certainly no passengers uh, over the two legs. I think every man, you know, can be really proud of the performance that they put in and the, the work that they put in and with Dave Cawley coming off the pitch uh, patting the guys in the back and sending them out to finish the job it was brilliant yeah you mentioned Shane Blaney there obviously that uh, stunning free kick so let's just listen to him he was chatting to Adrian Eames after the game uh, Shane first of all um, was, that, was that the greatest goal you've ever scored the one tonight yeah it is yeah it's probably one of the only goals I've ever scored to be fair <laughs> but uh, no it's, a, it's obviously a great goal they can delight it with it and who entrusts you with the responsibility? Because I know that against Ballatown you had a yeah. crack from a similar range, but tonight you went for it again and you beat, uh, well, he's part of the Scottish setup, yeah. uh, Liam Kelly in the Motherwell goal. I look, I've always been, like, I'm confident over three kicks. I've, I've hit them all my life throughout every, every team I've been at, really. Um, and just the distance that was out kind of set up perfectly for me because I, I like them a wee bit further out that I can get a good strike on it. And um, I think I caught, caught him in the corner of my eye just the last second. He kind of shifted over. He thought I might pull it to, to the near post, so... It was all it played into my hands perfectly, so I just whipped it back over him. And it was a great start because obviously there was a certain amount of tension, a full yeah. house here at the Shogans. Yeah. But after four minutes to go in front, make it two 0 in aggregate, that was the ideal start, wasn't it? Yeah, calm things down a wee bit, all right. But look, we still had a massive, a massive task ahead of us because we knew we know the quality they have, and they could easily, if they could have easily slipped a couple through and 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 went up another few notches. But we defended really well, like from the front, defended really, really well throughout throughout both legs and. Um, 
no, it's brilliant. Brilliant to get through. Well, that was the thing because despite the fact that they had so much possession, they very rarely opened you up. And no, you no, know, it was felt, Luke didn't really have a whole lot to do in the yeah, in goal. Yeah, yeah. Other than a couple, maybe a couple of long strikes from them, uh, Luke didn't have a lot to do. But that's what I was saying there. Like, it, it, even though they had a lot of possession and stuff around around the middle and stuff like that, there, I never really felt massively under pressure or or that there. So it was just kind of keeping concentration throughout the ninety and making sure we're fully switched on because obviously they do have clever players that can. They can cut you open with one pass, and they've they've a great a great striker who's had a great career. So it was just about being switched on for the full ninety, and thankfully we've done it over the both legs. Great crowd here tonight. Did your family hear yourself? Unbelievable crowd. Yeah, yeah, my brother's down, so no, it's it's classy, classy. Yeah. So that is Shane Blaney of Sligo Rovers. Obviously, a bit you can hear a bit of the atmosphere post game um, as he was talking there to Adrian Eames. Now Conan, obviously the the next step for them is to play Viking of Norway, and that's again as you step up in the competition. Obviously, it gets tougher and tougher. Now they've lost. Um, well, obviously the beat Sparta Prague in their, um, and I think that would be kind of a stunning result even for themselves. We know Sparta to Prague or one of those type of clubs that are, at least in a bygone era were regulars in the in the Champions League and Europa League but um they have lost their top scorer Vettin Berisha I saw on the uh, who's gone to Hammerby in the in the last week or so so obviously they've suffered a bit of a blow um what chances do you give Sligo against Viking uh, again it, we don't get to see the likes of Viking every week but it'll be intriguing to see how they get on yeah I think if a Sligo Rover fan is looking at the Norwegian League and sees them sitting fifth, they might get their hopes up a little bit more than they should. Um, they're three points off Bodo Glimt, um, who obviously destroyed Linfield last last week, 8-0, um, albeit Kirk Miller being sent off after 20 minutes or so. And do I think Linfield would beat Sligo Rovers? Probably. So that just goes to show the, the, the quality that the Norwegian League has. Um, and Viking are... A very, very good side. As you, as you said there, Barisha's been sold to Hammerby in Sweden. He scored eight goals and, and four assists already this season. So that's a, that's a, a plus for Sligo Rovers. Um, but they have Zlatko Tripic, very good creative midfielder, can, can score goals. And he's probably the one to look out for more than most. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a complete step up um, from Motherwell. But as Gary will probably say, when you have a packed showgrounds, and it's the old cliche of the twelfth man. They do. They certainly act like that. So um, it's very, very important that the, the Sligo Rovers fans get behind the team, both home and away. And European form, a domestic form, goes out the window when you play in Europe. And as we can see over the weekend, there, it, it's 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 very evident of the, of that. People, players, raise their game 10, 15, 20 percent when it when it comes to these European games. And you just have to go out and and be compact. And make sure that you you don't concede early. I think that's that'll be vital um, over the course of the two games. And and after the first game, to make sure that you have some sort of result to come back to. We saw Shamrock Rovers obviously conceding that late goal against Ludogorets to make it 3-0 over in Bulgaria. And then the kind of disappointment then when they went 2-0 up to think that they're going to have to get another goal. And obviously they were hitting this on the counter-attack then. But yeah, I think it's uh, they're con- they're certainly up against it. So are Pats if I'm being completely honest as well. So, um, yeah, it's just great to get through and, and, and get that financial reward of, of winning the second qualifying round. Yeah, and uh, in the meantime, they've signed Robbie Burton on loan from Dinamo Zagreb, so obviously to, to add to the squad. But a final word on Sligo, Jim, obviously, um, as someone from that area and uh, who's had a taste of the atmosphere, obviously, over the last uh, last few days. Um, it's obviously, look, it, 
regardless of how far they've gone it the 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 way they beat motherwell i mean it's a it's a momentous period well a momentous moment i suppose in the in the club's history and also for the town on a sporting point of view yeah it is because that well-worn cliche about sligo being a being a great football town being a great soccer town which it is and it always has been um yeah i think i mean sligo i don't think they've ever this is the first time that they've gone to the second round or past the second round stage of a competition in europe so from that point of view, um, it's, it has been brilliant. Also as well, the tickets for the second leg on Thursday week have sold out in quick time. So Sligo will have a full house. But as Conan said, it's all about bringing something back to the showgrounds. Like even if they're a goal behind, you know what I mean? As long as they're in the tie, I think if they were to suffer maybe a 3 little defeat like what Luda Gretz uh, beat Shamrock Rovers, uh, you know, last Tuesday week, that would make it more and more difficult. But... Um, I, I was just thinking, though, like as good and all as what Sligo and um, what Pats have done in in, in the last week, we're, we're really we're basically at the same stage as we were last year in Europe. Because this week last year we had Shamrock Rovers in Europe, uh, still in Europe. We had Dundalk still in Europe and Bohemians still in Europe. So it would be brilliant <clears throat> if either one of Pats or Sligo could go that step further. Uh, but as Conan said, it, it is it will be difficult for both. Um, from it's like Robert's point, I don't think we expected them to get past Motherwell because even though Motherwell are only starting their season purely based on, on that, as I said, abject showing that second leg showing against Bala. But, um, having been in, in the town over the weekend, yeah, I mean, you can certainly see a great buzz about the place, and also as well. And, and uh, Gary was, I thought the showgrounds looked impeccable there on Thursday night. The pitch finally, you know, the pitch was looking good, the weather was good, and it was just one of those great nights uh, in, in the showgrounds that it probably hasn't been hopping as much for a long, long time. And hopefully come Thursday week, if they're still in the tie, uh, that they can give their fans something to something else to shout about. Yeah, whereas Pats also made their way through, as you said, and they're going to be playing CSK Sofia of Bulgaria, Bulgaria in the next round. They beat Mora on penalties after drawn with both legs, um, nil-nil in the second leg. Um, Gary, we'll talk about Joseph Anang very, very shortly, just in terms of his performance, because obviously he was a key to them uh, making their way through. But um, obviously, Conan, I know you were on commentary with Oshin Langan um, for that uh, Mora second leg. And in terms of how they manage the game, because as we talked about the first game previously and won one at home and probably on the balance of play, Pats should have been going to Slovenia with uh, with an advantage. But, you know, again, it's very these uh, these European away games are very difficult tactically. And it seems like Pats dealt with the challenges of that very, very well. Yeah, look, they, they were absolutely superb now, if I'm being completely honest. I don't think Mura were up to too much. I don't think they're the force of, of last year. Last year, they lost, obviously, a, a couple of players considering they went on that fabulous cup run themselves in the Europa Conference League, defeating Tottenham along the way. Um, but having said that, take nothing away from the performance and the attitude and determination of every single Pats player, both that started and that came off the bench as well. I don't think... I think Tim Clancy would probably like a better impact off the bench. If I'm being completely honest in this, in just in the sense that take the, the final the final pass, um, there was plenty of times that that St. Pat's could have won the game in normal time if they took the right ball in the final third. And it was like a lot of players were thinking that their names were were going to go into lights, and they were just taking the wrong option when it was easier to to pass to one of their teammates for a simple tap in or different uh, different scenarios like that. 
But yes, I know Gary will talk about Joseph and Lang now, but he made three or four absolutely world-class saves. I think the back three of Harry Brockbank, Joe Redmond and, and Gravazzi were superb. Um, Jamie Lennon as well. He broke his foot back in March. He came back in for his first start um, since then and played 60 minutes. Did excellent. Toyce Timmermans come on his place you, and didn't put a foot wrong either. Um, Chris Forrester did what he does or does what he does and, and owned oil leading the line very, very well. So I think over the course of the, the two legs, St. Pat's fully deserved to win. Now, they're going in to play CSKA Sophia now shortly in, in this week, obviously, and the, the step up between the two sides is vast. Um, I've watched a couple of their the highlights of CSKA Sophia over the last number of days, and just the speed of their play, their tech, the technique of, of their players um, is something to behold, really, um, at this level. And St. Pat's will be completely up against it. But um, as you say, never say never. To, to, to bring it back to, to Richmond Park, similar to the showgrounds, um, with a positive, some sort of positive result. And you look, you never know. Yeah, and CSK, uh, Sophia, do have uh, quite a bit of an Irish connection as well from the past. Obviously, I was talking to Killian Sheridan a couple of years ago about his his adventures in Bulgaria. Obviously, he's had adventures in a lot of other countries, but Bulgaria was sort of the, the first stop after he uh, moved up, moved away from Scotland. And then uh, also there's Graham Carey, who was uh, there for a couple of years and I think has just left to go to St. Johnston uh, as well. So that's kind of a pity that he's kind of gone just before uh, before the, before this kind of tie comes along. And then I think he scored the, their first goal against Roma or something last season in the, the Conference League. So um, there's a, there's a, some unexpected connections there. But I think the Killian Sheridan one was uh, quite well known. We leave the uh, link to that interview with him, uh, the one I did uh, a couple of years ago, just in the description box on YouTube below. But uh, Gary Rogers, uh, the Joseph Anang, you know, his performance and obviously his role in the penalty shootout, but also within the uh, within the game itself. I mean, he, he was a goalkeeper, maybe that there were question marks when he first came in, but he seems to have answered quite a lot of them. Yeah, look, I think probably there's probably unfair question marks on him because he came in in his first game was against Shamrock Rovers in the President's Cup. And OK, he made a mistake for a goal, but what's him after that? And he was excellent in the next game. So we, there was question marks probably put on him very quickly. For, for no real reason really that we really didn't know a whole lot about him. But I think he's been terrific for St. Pat's this year. Um, and, and look, with any European tie, your goalkeeper is going to always have to play well. And he can certainly put his hand up and say that he, he played his part. And as Conan said, uh, he made some terrific saves in the game, obviously contributed in the penalty shootout as well. And it's, it's great for him to, uh, obviously, you know, that'd be great for his confidence as a young keeper to go into a European game, really play well at the highest level. And to win a penalty shootout as well, I can only stand to him. And that's, you know, great for him as a keeper going forward. You look, he's come on loan from West Ham and he'll bring that experience back. That experience that you're not going to get in under 21 or under 23 football in the UK. So it, it, it's brilliant for him. And like Conan said, TSK Sophia is going to be a huge test. Um, obviously, we've seen Ludogrets against Jamak Rovers and, you know, the style of their play and the speed that they play at. I think Ludogrets in Tala. You know, they really were poor in the first half and Shamrock Rovers probably could have got a couple of more goals. But over there, they were exceptional. They moved the ball really, really quickly. And, and a lot of their players, you can see the pace of their movement, but also the speed of their passes. And, you know, they were they were within in their home tie. They were excellent. So you'd be expecting a similar sort of quality from uh, from Sofia in this tie. And, and like Conan says, it's going to be a tough ask. But I wouldn't underestimate the, the you know, what St. Pat's did against Mura. Obviously, a team that, was in the Conference League last year, 
you know, wouldn't be a well-known team to people in Ireland, but, you know, for St. Pats, if you compare budgets and all the rest and where they were, like, it, it's, a, it's a big win for, for, for a League of Ireland team. And because we're, they're not a household name, I think sometimes we can underestimate the magnitude of the achievements as well. Yeah, and all of it is also important, not just in terms of prize money, but in terms of UEFA coefficients for the league and then obviously for the for the clubs themselves. And Shamrock Rovers have a good opportunity to help build on that. Obviously, they uh, they had lost their first leg in Ludogorets 3-0, but then, you know, salvaged a 2-1 home win. Um, so 4-2 on aggregate going out there. But now they drop into the Europa League third round and it's Scoopy of North Macedonia and the home leg first. And... Um, Scoopy again not a team we'd know too much about they only won their first Macedonian league title last season and they were fairly unlucky to just lose 3-2 to Dinamo Zagreb who would be a household name in terms of Champions Leagues and uh, Europa League uh, group stages or qualifying rounds and they've sort of risen up the Macedonian league quite quickly over the since getting promoted seven years ago now They've been playing in Europe for the last um, for every season since 2018-19. So it's a it's a tricky enough challenge for Shamrock Rovers, but also uh, Conan, they do know that there is the fallback option of the Europa Conference League. I mean, getting to the or landing in the third qualifying round of the Europa League obviously puts them into the playoff round by default of the Conference League. So there's a lot of opportunities lying in wait for them here. Yeah, it's a huge opportunity for Shamrock Rovers, and I think out of the three sides, this is this the, this is the one that we we have a realistic aim of of getting into the next round with. Um, as you said, should should be of of they've no league league games played this season, um, so that's a huge advantage for us. Their season doesn't start till next weekend, so it's a huge advantage for Shamrock Rovers then with the with the experience that they've had this season, with the game time that they've had to get through this tie. Um, obviously, they they defeated Lincoln Redims in the first qualifying round of the Champions League three two. They won three 0 at home. They lost two 0 away. And like you said, there, beaten uh, def- defeated by Dynamo Zagreb, which is again a household name and and one that can uh, that result can't be taken lightly. Um, they seem to be very experienced defensively, Raf. Um, and with Shamrock Rovers kind of short of pace up front, that's the area that I think that that Shamrock Rovers needed to improve on. They have Gaffney, obviously, and. Who runs the line very, very well, and it does have pace, but it's just those wide areas that you'd like to have players running in behind and uh, getting balls across the box. And with the fact that they, that should be a, a, have, a, have an experienced back line, and um, that's the area that I'd like that, that I think Shamrock Rovers really need to to get to get behind. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a it's it's going to be a fascinating tie. As I said, I, it's the realistic one for me um, for for a, an Irish team to get through, and um, let's hope it bodes well. Yeah, and in terms of strengthening, in terms of helping with pace and other uh, things, also strengthening defensively. Uh, obviously, Pico Lopez picking up an injury that's uh, due to keep him out for about uh, eight weeks, uh, give or take. But uh, Gary, Simon Power coming in um, from Harrogate Town, obviously, for people um, um, on this side of the IRC, obviously, he was uh, he would have started out at Cabin Teeley and then played at UCD before going across to Norwich. And then someone you know fairly well, Daniel Cleary, obviously, coming back to the League of Ireland from St. Johnston. Yeah, look, it's obviously you know, really good timing for them with, with Pico picking up that injury. He's been so important to them um, over the last number of years. But like Daniel Carey, to say, is a guy I know really well, and he's a, a top-class player, um, has massive experience for a man so young. He would have played Europa League group stages. So you know, these players coming in, obviously he'd have to come in and hit the ground running. Dan obviously played at the weekend, sort of Simon, so they, they've got a bit of time um, with the squad. And it'd be just interesting to see will will they stay, who will start possibly. Um, in, in the Champions League game during the week. So 
But like I think you know that the the signs they brought in are excellent and will only add to the squad. Obviously, look, it's a pity that Pete goes out because he's been he's been excellent for them and he's been his experience and being away playing international football and he's really grown into into a leader at the at the back for for Shamrock Rovers. But look, there's, there's great experience there. You've got like Sean Gannon, uh, Ronan Finn. Uh, Sean Hoare, all these guys really, really experienced yeah, European footballers at this stage and all have a number of games. So it's about being able to manage the manage the game. And I think they will see this as a really good opportunity, you know, to progress. Yeah, like that, that the fact that they're not in season, that hurts you. Like it would have hurt Motherwell last week as well. And it's one of the reasons why our teams have been so good in Europe over the years. Like I would have always said it with with the dog, we would have been hoping to get Celtic at this stage because you know you're always going to have to beat a top team to progress and get the group stages. And although you know Celtic wouldn't have seen us as much opposition, but you would have always fancied yourself against you know a higher quality team when they're out of season because we're in full flow and they're coming off the back of playing against good European teams like Shamrock Rovers, although they've got beaten in the last couple of games, but they've played against probably higher opposition than they're going to play against, you know, week in, week out in the league. And that will help them. So, like, if they can obviously put the perform, build on the performances that they've had, although they've been defeat, uh, ultimately in the round. But if they can bring that into into this week's tie, I think they they really fancy themselves, and um, you know, progressing. But it, it, it's about game management. I think Shamrock Rovers last year suffered from a late goal, and um, they suffered from a late goal in Ludogorets over there. Like, if they come home with a two 0 defeat as opposed to a three 0 the tie is a completely different thing. So, you can't you can't take a can't drop your concentration for a minute in European football because, you know, that little lapse or it will cost you because the thing about it is that teams are so clinical, you know, and, and for Irish teams to progress, you obviously have to be really tight at the back, but you're always going to get opportunities, but you've got to be clinical. You've got to take them and taking the opportunities what what builds and gives you the chance of progression in, in European games. Yeah, and we are in full flow because uh, obviously the uh, FAI Cup got underway in terms of the you know the big hitters uh, entering the competition, and there weren't too many shocks until sort of later in the weekend. Obviously, Pats uh, losing to Waterford, and then Sligo losing to Wexford, and sort of coincidentally, both teams that have been involved in Europe maybe with the distraction of that that played some part in it. But I suppose first on Sligo, Gary, um, what went wrong there against Wexford? Yeah, look, I think it, it's difficult. Like it would have happened myself and probably Conan before in European games where you, you know, you've had that high of you know being the underdog and a slaying a joint if you like uh, uh, during the week, and then you're coming along and you're playing, you know, a lesser game at the weekend, and and it happens. Like it would have been happened myself when we played uh, at Sligo. We got beat by UCD in between beating Rosenberg, and and the same with uh, I think with. Dundalk, we beat Battle Boris off on the Thursday and went down to Galway on the Sunday and got beaten. Um, so it does happen. Um, and it probably it highlights maybe the squads more so than than the actual team because I think you're probably you're making changes. Squad's a little bit lighter. You have the high of the game during the week. And then, you know, you, if you're a little bit off, teams sense it. And Wexford would have been coming there pre- preparing all week. They would have loved to see Sligo go through. And they'd be saying to themselves, well, we've got a real chance here because possibly make a few changes and you know they'll still be on a high from the other night and uh, in fairness Ian Ryan and Wexford look they're not you know the Wexford of old where you look at them as a, as a soft touch there's no they certainly are not that and Ian's um, very professional in his approach he's like a very very good coach he would have worked at UCD and um, but he, he would have put in place a game plan and, and look they got the rub of the green with the, with the goal in extra time but um, you know they, they put in a really good performance away from home against Sligo and uh, you know, they'll be really happy. Although, like, it would have been a terrific week for, for Sligo if they had it progressed because 
and it, the, the women's team obviously beat Shelburne three two as well, and they were having a terrific week. And you think about it, you know Sligo Rovers women's team the first year uh, in, in as a senior team, and they go and beat the champions in the home ground live on TV, and obviously off the back of Sligo winning the Motherwell. So it just put a little bit of a taint on the week for Sligo Rovers, but all in all, I think they'll be pretty happy with how their week has been. Yeah, and Wexford have been going well, uh, Conan. I think I saw you tweeting about Ian Ryan and just how um, you know in demand he will be. I mean, they we were some we were talking to Ollie Cal about this earlier in the season because he was very impressed with the way they ended last season and then the way they've you know navigated the first division this this season where they're not that far off the playoff places, just within touching distance, and they've been pretty solid throughout. So um, Ryan certainly, I think, and Gary alluded to it there, like a really really good coach. Yeah, it, it was basically an instant impact. Um, like last April going into May, they had three consecutive defeats of 3-0 away to Atlone, um, five, 6-0 at home to UCD and 5-0 away to Cork. And then within a month, Ian Ryan took over and managed to get them up the, t- not up the tables, um, but points on the board when they didn't have them. Um, obviously then he went into pre-season, had his own stamp on things. And we've got to remember that <clears throat> Ian is uh, obviously with, with UCD. He was manager of the of the Leinster schools team as well. So he has a good idea and a, and a good range of players of availability and, and, and people that want to, to come and play for him. So he's a good knowledge of, of young players around, around Ireland. And um, he has managed to handpick some of those, bring, bring them down. He brought in some good experienced players, the likes of, of Dinny Corcoran, Connor Davis, Aaron Dobbs. Um, that have Premier Division experience as well. Connor Crowley in midfield has been has been very very good. Um, but the young players, the likes of Harry Groom, who plays centre of the park, very technical, really good player. Talking to some opposition players that have played against Wexford, they've been very very impressed with him. Um, so I, I think he's done a, a fantastic job um, for for Wexford. And the fact that they're just so close to getting that playoff position now, um, the defeat to Sligo, as Gary said, the game plan was put, put was put in place. Um, I'd say he was on the, the Wexford camper only delighted that Sligo got through thinking that they, they may have taken their eye off the ball which possibly they did but with Sligo going into extra time again another another bad reason for them going into this game 120 minutes like Max Matta having 120 minutes now going into Thursday's game but with, with going back to, to Ian Ryan and Wexford he is a manager in demand obviously Waterford had, had already looked at him um, I think that came out in the in media circles a couple of months back um, but if he continues to do what he's doing, he's very popular among um, among his when he was doing his his pro license. The people that were working around him at that time were very impressed with his with his work um, and with his knowledge of the game and how he looks at things. And um, he's brought in Larkin Fitzgerald as well, a, a, another serial winner. So um, yeah, it's it's all bodes well for Wexford, but it's very important that they they hold on to him as long as they can because. I do see people coming in from for sure. Yeah, and yeah, as I said, also ref. Yeah, uh, just sorry, ref. It just also, I think it's worth mentioning as well. They at the heart of the Wexford defence last night, Joe Manley. He seemed to be blocking and heading and kicking everything away. And I think he picked up a bad injury near the end. But if he had went off, uh, Wexford would have been down to ten men because they had used up all their subs at that point. But so he kind of he stayed on the pitch as a kind of a, a presence there on on the edge of the box as as the, the last few minutes ticked away. So I think he don't know whether he got mad the match, but he certainly was the, was a towering influence last night for Wexford. 
Yeah, and Watford, as you said, Conan, um, you know, hadn't looked at Ian Ryan, but their form, you know, the, their form and has sort of, they were in really good form and then sort of they've had a little drop off, but then obviously beating Pats in the Cup is a sort of a welcome boost for them. So what happened here for Pats? Um, I think just the European hangover again, like, as again, I put up a, similar tweet yesterday just going through the, the the games over the last number of weeks where where clubs have played in Europe and then gone back to the domestic matters and they haven't picked up results obviously Sligo after being beaten by Ballotown UCD went down to the showgrounds and beat them 2-0 um, Shamrock Rovers drew at home to to Drogheda after the Luda Goretz game and and Pats then to, today like or yesterday should I say where they were beaten um, at home 3-2 and yeah, you, you could talk about um, the changes of of play because they changed formation back to their their usual shape yesterday against Waterford. Um, they had gone three with a box in midfield in Europe against NS Muris, but they went back to their their four three three formation yesterday. Um, and what what kind of bugs me more than most is that these players that haven't get have haven't got game time are given the opportunity in these games to to put themselves in the not even for the club. To, to, to participate at, at in Europe the following week in in games, but put themselves in the shop window, and some of them just don't grasp grasp the opportunity at all. Like I, I was watching a game on Friday, shells against Bray, and there was a player that came off the bench. I don't I don't want to name him, but he came off the bench, hadn't been playing in months, and he goes through and he tries to just a little clever chip over the keeper. Um, where I know if I was a manager in the touchline, I was like, I, I don't know if I could trust you bringing on to a game at one all, and then that situation happens again, and you're not going to try that same technique so I think players and, and as Gary alluded to earlier on about the squad um, I think the squad needs to needs to do better in games of uh, in, in games in the FAI Cup so I'd, I'd, I'm would i not going to throw it all to the players in, in, the, in the same paths of the Sligo dressing room but I do feel that when you're given the opportunity to go out and, and, and put your name out, out there to say yes I'm, I'm, I'm ready for this European experience or I want somebody to sign me um, they don't take it anymore and Waterford took full advantage take nothing away from the performance I thought the front three were absolutely superb Awatria with another two goals for him coming in from Charlton um, Katerna as well they're doing great work with, with Charlton's academy bringing in those two players they, they, they've been absolutely sensational Phoenix Patterson is, as well has been superb but yeah it's, it's, um, I think Waterford fully deserved the victory St. Pat's second half was toothless um, they were really really poor they didn't have Many, they a lot of the ball, but they just didn't create as many chances as as Tim Clancy would like, and ultimately he'd be very disappointed because it's a momentum killer uh, for both sides. Um, when you look at it, given the success and and within within the fans as well, like St. Pat's, they they love a good cup run. They love the FAI Cup. When we won the league in 2013 at St. Pat's, it was like, yeah, that's grand, but we don't we prefer the FAI Cup. And the fact that they're holders as well, and they go out with a whimper yesterday. It, um, it's disappointing. So they need to pick themselves back up now going into heading to Bulgaria on Thursday. Yeah, and Derry City will be looking at the cup with, uh, you know, they'll be looking at it as a potential opportunity for them. Now they started very, very well, beating Oliver Bond Celtic 7 0. Um, Michael Duffy obviously continuing his return. I think he'd uh, returned against Riga in the, the second leg and uh, featured against uh, against them as well. And then Declan Glass, a relative newcomer as well, um, among the goals. And they have also uh, loaned out uh, Maddie Smith to Shelburne as well. So we mm-hmm. might just talk about transfers here because there's a lot of, uh, there's a little bit of movement in terms 
terms of loans and different things happening. So Gary, just from a Dundalk point of view, then Robbie McCourt arriving in um, from Sligo, sort of fill in at left back. And then um, they've also brought in Runer Hauge from, um, on loan from Hibs. So he's a Norwegian winger. And then also at the back, Mark Connolly not staying is another blow for them because their defensive record has been pretty good. Like a lot of, a lot of moving parts here, but from a Dundalk point of view first, um, in terms of the movement. Yeah, look, I think Dundalk, obviously, with Mark Connolly leaving, who has been been excellent for them, uh, Robbie McCourt coming in. I'm actually surprised that Robbie McCourt's coming in, but it probably just is nearly tribute to how well uh, Paddy Kirk has done at, at Sligo Rovers, because Robbie McCourt was, was excellent um, for Sligo Rovers last year. So he comes in, he can play left side of centre-back, or he can play um, left-back as well. Um, like, Connolly going is a, is a big loss, and it looks like he's uh, Derry City um, have, have taken advantage there. Another... Dundalk player to Derry, even though he was only on loan. But uh, I think um, both Derry and Dundalk will look at this cup now as, as a really good opportunity because I don't think, I think both of them will say they're probably not strong enough to put um, a, a title challenge together, possibly, even though they will be probably the closest contenders. But I can't see either of them um, beating Shamrock Rovers to the league title. And an FAI Cup would be an opportunity that they would say we, could, we can certainly do something here. Um, and look, the dog and both teams have beaten Shamrock Rovers this year on, on one-off games. So, um, you know, Greg Slug had a great game for for Dundalk. Obviously, a 4-0 win against Longford. Longford were really solid and stuck in there, and it was nil all uh, half time. And and but but once they once they broke the deadlock, they really the floodgates opened up, um, for, and Dundalk capitalised. And it's just a, a, a strange and it wasn't as big a crowd at that game as it had been in previous games. But it's, it's cup games are about getting through. Um, and and the, both teams have done that, and like you said, there's you know there's guys coming into the squad will hopefully strengthen. I think the Dundalk one, it, it's it's a fine line whether it'll be strengthened or not because I think Conley had such a really good impact on that defence. He was a real leader at the back, a really good talker. So they would be disappointed to lose him. But like I said, Robin Court has been excellent for Sligo, and and I think Stevie will be happy with that signing as well. Yeah, and Mark Connolly going to uh, going to Derry City, uh, but uh, James Clark going from uh, Drawdy United on a multi-year deal to Bohemians Conan. Um, so he's a Bose fan by all accounts, and uh, he also used to be a, a mascot. So that from what uh, Keith Long was saying, but it's their eighth signing, so they've uh, it sort of tells you maybe where they were at at the start of the season, the amount to change that was needed there. Yeah, I think everybody noticed that and we're talking about it including in media circles and, and fans and everything so I think it was only a matter of time and I'm sure he couldn't wait for the transfer window to open to make these signings like John O'Sullivan coming in as well from, from League 2 which was a, a huge positive signing in terms of leadership which they were lacking massively in the opening couple of months of the season um, but you mentioned James Clark he's, an, he's a wonderful talent Absolutely fantastic, and Drada have done well to hold on to him for so long, um, because he's he, he's going to he's going to be a fan's favourite. He seemed to be already after his performance uh, on Friday against Finn Harps. Um, but Keith Long loves signing players from Scotland as well, bringing in De- uh, Declan McDade as well, and and Josh Kerr both in the score sheet the other night, along with Ali Coote and Liam Burt, who who come from who hail from from that region too. Um, he's an eye for a player, Keith and. It's just very important that he tries to hold on to him now for as long as possible because there's already people sniffing around Bert um, domestically and and from abroad as well. But 
yeah, Keith has done. It seems to have done <clears throat> done a, a good job in the transfer market. He's got picked up a very very good result against Strada United last week in, in that one 0 win. He kept they kept a clean sheet. It's not often that that Bowes are able to do that. Um, but leadership has been the most important, and with the signings of the likes of Josh Kerr, more importantly, John O'Sullivan. Um, yeah, they're, they're they're hopefully going to kick on now for the for the remainder of the season. Yeah, and the Bowes women's team also had a had a good uh, week, holding Shelburne to a nil nil draw last Wednesday. And then when it comes to the weekend, Bowes beat Cork City three one. But uh, elsewhere on the table, and we're going to see just how it tightens up. Athlone Town, who have been going really well this season, beating DLR Waves two one. Um, Sligo Rovers then, as I think Jim and I think you all mentioned actually earlier earlier on, you know, pulled off a massive upset, beating the champions Shelburne three two, which is really Thrown the cat among the pigeons in terms of the in terms of the title race now, and coupled with P Mount winning two one against Galway, and they're pulling themselves back into it, and also Wexford beating Treaty United three 0 So what it does to the table, Shelburne still leading, but they've played a game more than the Chasing Pack. They're five points clear of Wexford, who have now really put themselves into the mix at Lone Town, hovering dangerously as well. P Mount a little bit further off, but. Obviously, it's a team with pedigree and a lot of uh, a lot of great players in there. And uh, I think Jim, as you said, Sligo Rovers. You know, this is their first year in the in the division and nineteen points, and uh, you know the well clear Cork City and Treaty United mm. uh, below them. Yeah, I mean, at the start of the year, I mean, Sligo came into the league. I, mean, I think people were hoping that they would acquit themselves well. Uh, maybe you know avoid you know being down at the basement and as you say like i mean they're they're pretty well clear of the basement at the moment uh uh having flicked on on saturday watching the tg car coverage i think they were two nil down after 20 minutes but they certainly roared back into the game uh, emma doherty uh, there's a great Donegal connection there at the moment uh, she scored twice uh, in the in uh, after that and the, I, I thought the winning goal classic long punt through and a long ball in and then a chip over the over the keeper uh, just a pity as well I mean I think the crowd was small at it again so like we were talking earlier about women's football that's a, hopefully the the um, attendance figures uh, you know are something that will increase as we go through the, the next couple of seasons as well but uh, it certainly does breathe life back into the back into the uh, top of the table as well I think but uh, with the Athlone and Wexford, what five six points now behind uh, Shelburne, but they do have a game in hand. So, with what eight nine games to go, hopefully we we'll get a thrilling finish to the league. Yeah, and also the notable subplot of that Sligo Rover Shelburne game, of course, was Heather O'Reilly, who mm. uh, World Cup winner and uh, you know Olympic uh, champion as well, many times with the United States. So one of the greatest, one of the great, one of the great players, um, recent times, but has been retired for three years, and then she rocks up at, at Shelburne, sort of out of nowhere last week. <laughs> now um, she was talking to Marie Crow um, uh, just after making the decision. So let's just listen to her here. Um, there's a nice little Arsene Wenger impression in there as well. A few weeks ago I played in a charity match called Soccer Aid in London and Arsene Wenger was my manager and he said, Heather, you are still a very good player, you should play. And I said, thanks Arsene. I never played Champions League football, I always dreamed of it. O'Reilly, who has three Olympic gold medals, made contact with Shelburne and the move was arranged. Although she hasn't played for a team in a while, the former Arsenal star feels she still has something to offer. It's no secret that I have been away from the game in a formal capacity for a number of years. I'm 37 years old. I just had two kids. Um, so those are all the obvious things. Uh, maybe not so obvious is that I do play quite a bit. You know, these first couple weeks I'll be working with Noel to make sure that I'm 
gradually getting touches back on the ball. Meanwhile, Shelburne manager Noel King is delighted with his new signing and believes that the arrival of O'Reilly will offer a huge boost to the league as a whole. This is another another huge step forward for the club. It'll give it a little bit more profile and hopefully de develop things from this in the future. OK, so that is Heather O'Reilly, obviously US legend, and then Noel King there, Shelburne manager. But uh, Jim, in terms of what that does for the league, obviously, you know, she's been out of the game uh, for three years. And then obviously Arsene Wenger, and she did, a, um, I think, bonus points for the mm. second impression, just throw in stuff like uh, we played with the handbrake on and I didn't see it. And I think that would be a... Yeah. Uh, perfect uh, a more perfect sort of uh, impression but in the overall sense on a serious point in terms of her arrival and what it does for the league and the profile it's obviously um good to see you know some of the greats of the game coming over because it does add a little bit more interest oh, it does like and i think her her aim is to play champions league football and, and she's going to get that chance in a couple of weeks time hopefully she'll make some impact because if, if even if you go back to the men's league down through the years back in the day when we've had the likes of Trevor Brooking coming over for a couple of games or George Best playing. So hopefully, I mean, she's 37, but I mean, obviously, you know, like talent is there. I mean, and uh, hopefully, hopefully when she gets, I, I think she did come on uh, late on up in the showgrounds at the weekend. So yeah, definitely. Like, I mean, it does add to the, it, it does add to the luster of the league here, having somebody of her talent uh, coming back. And it's just one, of, it's just one of those good news stories as well for the, for the women's league here. And um yeah, I think she might just have to work a little bit more on the Arsene Wenger, uh, you know, get the kind of a uh, little bit more on that impression. But, you know, good start. Yeah, Stephanie, Stephanie Roach, uh, Rafi, she's not the only one now with a Puskas nominee playing in the Women's National League. Oh, right. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, as she alluded to, the Champions League, they've got... Um, so the way it works, it's a four-team sort of group, but it's sort of semi-finals and you get to a final. So mm. Shells have got ZNK Pomurje of Slovenia on the 18th of August. And then hopefully from there, they get into the, the decider then and into the second kind of qualifying bracket of it. But then elsewhere in terms of transfers, there's Amber Barrett, who is staying in Germany, but has signed for FFC Turban Potsdam. Um, she used to play for uh, Cologne previously and Neve Farley also heading to Parma. So that's some of the, the transfer news on that front but we're coming to near enough to the end so we might just talk about the Premier League we'll just squeeze that in uh, at the at very end I mean the Community Shield on uh, Saturday kind of just reminded me again that that season is coming very very closely I thought I might need another couple of weeks of a break from uh, from the Premier League but uh, Gary, in terms of uh, the top end, obviously you can't read too much into a community shield game, even though it seems like a lot of people were writing off uh, Erling Haaland just because he missed uh, he missed a bit of a sitter. But obviously he's going to go on probably and score 20, 25 goals a season. But at the top end, do you really see anybody challenging the top two at this uh, when it, when the when the season kicks off? Yeah, it's sad to say, but probably not. Uh, I think that the top two teams are, are so good. Like you know. You're expecting Man United and Arsenal and, and Spurs and all these teams to start and Chelsea putting better, I suppose, runs together. Like and the quality in the Premier League is probably it's frightening. And you think of the like the top two and the players that they have and the players that they've brought in, like the likes of Darwin and Haaland coming in to already probably two of the best teams in the world. So, like you know, it's hard to bridge that gap, and you certainly won't bridge it. I don't think in one season. It'll it'll take you know a couple of transfer windows and possibly a couple of seasons to. And then you're looking for one of them teams to drop off, but <clears throat> how they've behaved in the transfer window in terms of like Klopp and his diamonds and the value that he's been able to get, um, and the players that he's been able to bring in, but not only just bring them in, but make them better. 
and um, like he's bringing in top class players and, and and improving them. So it's uh for me it'll be it'll I, I still couldn't see outside like I couldn't call which one of them will win it um because it it's so tight and it's it's so finely balanced. But um yeah I think it'd be very hard to look outside uh, Liverpool and Manchester City. And Conan, uh, when we look at the chase and pack, so Arsenal seem to have done some really good business in terms of Gabriel Jesus being the, the most high-profile one, but also Zinchenko, a very <clears throat> versatile player. Chelsea bringing in Raheem Sterling, but then I think even possibly more importantly at the back, Koulibaly, um, you know, has been a star defender in Serie A for, for Napoli for a long time. And then, you know, Spurs with Antonio Conte, you know, seemingly the business they've done not just Richarlison up front but just sort of widening in it widening out the rest of the squad seems to be impressive and then we come to Manchester United who I think I not I don't know what to expect from them at all I mean they did bring in Lisandro Martinez who Eric Ten Hag will know very well but then at the other end of things you're looking at Cristiano Ronaldo and will he won't he stay or what's the story there and I don't know do you look at them maybe as sort of the weakest of the chasing pack just on paper, obviously they could they could catch up in terms of the tactical side of the game, which is I think something that has been missing for them. Yeah, I, I do. I think the other people around them, the likes the, the likes of what you've mentioned there, Chelsea and Arsenal and, and Spurs have all strengthened. I've been very impressed with with Spurs' six summer signings. I think Jed uh, Spence is going to be really exciting. Whether he takes up Matt Doherty's position though is uh, is something that we'll have to watch very very closely, but. With Den Haag at, uh, at Manchester United, I think the, the drama of, of getting De Jong in, into, into the side before the season kicks off has kind of hampered his, his um, preparation, I think. Um, if they had got it over the line a number of weeks ago, it could have been focused on, on, on the league campaign going, going forward. Obviously, Martinez is a very good player. done really, really well at Ajax. Um, but this this scenario around Ronaldo as well is is not going to help things, especially with, around the dressing room. Um, so yeah, I do think they're going to they're, they're they'll have a bit to find on the likes of Arsenal, Chelsea, and Spurs. Um, I've been very impressed with Arsenal in preseason. Ref, um, if I'm being completely honest, um, Odegaard now has gone in as captain. He's been excellent in the, the tail end of last season. Um, but bringing in Jesus, who's um firing on all cylinders in preseason scoring. I think he scored two the other day. Um, against Sevilla, um, Sacco's doing well. The combination between those two have been really impressive. And bringing in Zin- Zinchenko as well, because you have that Kieran Tierney situation, who is a fantastic left back, but is injury prone. Yeah. So you have Zinch- Zinchenko that can play there at left back, but probably prefer- prefers playing in central midfield. And then you have Jacques, uh, who gets suspended half the season anyway. So you can put, they can mix and match the two players in, in those positions. So it's clever dealings by by Arteta, but. Yeah, I think if I'm if I'm looking at, I think Arsenal will be the ones w- with most improvement. Um, but they've, as Gary says, there's still a lot to find um, between themselves and, and Liverpool and Man City. Yeah, and then at the other end, Gary, um, obviously it'll be intri- intriguing to watch Newcastle, who will probably push closer to that. They won't be in the top six, I don't think, but they'll be they'll be pushing closer to it. Obviously, with all the financial advantages that, that they've uh, suddenly discovered over the last uh, year or so. But um, you know. Everton is something that intrigues me down at the other end of the table. I was just reading a lot of the fan previews and uh, that they have on the Guardian and the vast majority have like uh, first to get sacked. It was just like Frank Lampard, Frank Lampard, Frank Lampard. <laughs> you go through the entire league. Now, he did well to actually keep them up because they were in a bit of a mess after, uh, you know, starting the season with Rafa Benitez. But uh, like on my notes here, I have relegation fodder, which is basically the new clubs, Forest, Fulham and Bournemouth. 
plus Everton. And then you could probably throw in Leeds as well there. So how do you see that playing out? Because there's a lot of clubs that can get dragged back in there. Maybe Everton, especially losing Richarlison and haven't really strengthened. And then you've got the three, you know, the, it's always tough for the three clubs that come up and we don't know what to expect from any of them. Yeah, well, that's a, the thing. It's, it's one of those things you've got clubs that come up and of the three that come up, there's always one nearly that surprises you and said that, that kicks on and, and has a really good season. But you're rightly so. You should be, I think if Frank Lambert uses any sort of, uh, you know, motivation, if he puts all the, the predictions on the, uh, on his, in his office and tried to prove people wrong, but like you would worry for everything. Like they, they just stayed up um, last season by the skin of their teeth. And, you know, if anything, they, they look to be weak and not strengthening. So, you know, and in the Premier League, you know, you, you can't afford to, to do that. You've always got to be, you've always got to be adding to the group and keeping your best players, not losing them and then adding quality around it. So you would be worried. I know my dad's a big Everton supporter, so I'm sure he'll be, he'll be, he'll be worried uh, about it as well. But uh, yeah, look, it's, it, it's, of them teams, you I would say probably Everton will be will be in that mix because you look at Forest and they're making signs and bringing players in, and um, so it's um, obviously we'd be keeping a keen eye on Bournemouth with Mark Travers playing in goals, and we're kind of lucky that we've Travers and Bazunu probably playing will look like they will start the season as first choice goalkeepers for Premier League clubs, and and Kevin Keller obviously still at Liverpool, so like, there's an interesting angle for for the goalkeepers coming through and. Uh, like Newcastle, I, I can see them knocking on the door of, of the fringe of possibly Europe. They seem to be, you know, going well in pre-season. And uh, Eddie Howe is a very astute manager. I think, you know, we probably forget like how good a job he did at mm-hmm. Bournemouth between bringing them up, maintaining your uh, Premier League um, status and stuff like that. Like he, he is very, kept in very, very high regard. So I think um, Newcastle will be one that's, you know, it's, it's going to take a couple of transfer windows, but the building blocks are in place and they've got a really top-class manager there. So uh, it, it, it will be uh, interesting view in like Premier League is where, it, where it's all at. Everyone's focus. It's, it's, the best, it's the best league in the world, really, for, for my money. I think for most people around the world, it's like you look at where they, they're, they're watching from everywhere. So like there's lots of stuff going on. Obviously, you'd like it to be a little bit more competitive at the top, but the battles over the last few years, it hasn't been a foregone conclusion. And the battle at the bottom is as interesting as the battle at the top as well. So from top to bottom, it, it, it'll be yeah, interesting being the whole way through. Yeah, Brighton point of view, obviously watching Shane Duffy will be of interest given, um, you know, the Irish side things. Baron Connolly, of course, won't be there because he's, uh, as we said, um, we spoke about I think a couple of weeks ago. Um, obviously, he's gone to Venezia on loan, which is a, an interesting move. But in the meantime, he was talking to Irish football fan TV's Paul Nalen. And it was a really interesting interview. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about how would he adapt um, away from England because it kind of felt like he needed to move away from there. And he did outline, you know, the some of the issues he was dealing with. And just to pull out one quote from it, um, he said, a lot of people know why I haven't kicked on. And I know myself, that's why this move to Italy was vital just to get away from the circle I was back in England I need a fresh start that sort of um, comment about the the circle he was in in England that's sort of um, intriguing Conan I suppose in light of what we were talking about a, a couple of weeks ago and uh, anybody who actually does want to find that interview um, Paul Neal has it up on the Irish Football Fan TV social media channels and on YouTube it's actually it's a really interesting watch I think they have an interview with Gavin Bazunu Gavin Bazunu there as well that's uh, worth watching but uh, Conan just on um, you know Connolly and in a way we might talk about Troy Parrott too you know obviously he's 
on another loan now to, to Preston higher up in the championship compared to where he was MK Don's last season. But it's just interesting, a couple of players who publicly have talked about, you know, sort of the the flick or the, the switch flicking and kind of realizing it's a very short career and you need to kind of, uh, I suppose that you, you kind of have to nail down the professional side of the game to really push yourself, push, push yourselves on. Because as we've seen from an Ireland point of view, you know, there's always rivals coming for coming from your, for your spot and, you know, taking your place in the squad. Yeah. I watched the interview with that Paul did with, with Aaron and he kind of, it was a very mature conversation that he had and very honest in the sense that he, he kind of let Middlesbrough down with the, when he went up there, he wasn't in the right frame of mind. Um, and to, to say to yourself at such a young age to be able to, look, I need to get out of here. I need to, I need a new challenge. I need to go away. And it was kind of something that myself and Keith were talking about when we were on the podcast, Keith Tracy, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about that he needed that little break. And it was obvious from the outside that, that he probably needed to get out of his comfort zone. And now is the t- time to, to see how he does get on in, 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 in Italy, because it's, it's vital that he does well. Um, that he hits the ground running because like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, it's, it's, it's Serie B, you know, it's not something that we're going to be able to, to watch on the TV all that regularly um, and to see how his performances well, go. Unless you want an expenses paid uh, trip to like Venice every week. I can be offering that. I'll see, I'll see what I can do. <laughs> yeah. Um, but just, yeah, just so that we, we, we'll want to hear reports of him scoring maybe one or two goals every every couple of weeks because otherwise we won't hear many many stories about him because there's just so many Irish players now that are doing well. Ogbeni obviously getting off the mark yesterday in the championship. Um, Troy Pard as well. Josh Cullen on, on Friday night doing, mm. doing what he does best. So you can easily fall off and, and, and people not talk about you. So in order for you not for that not to happen, you're going to have to start and hit the ground running and, and start scoring a few goals. But very mature of him to to openly admit his his uh, reasoning behind the move, and um, you know, just best best wishes to him. Yeah, most definitely. So himself and Liam Kerrigan, obviously in Surrey B, and if uh, you know, we'll see what reports come back from uh, that division. Obviously, Surrey A is probably easier, obviously to, mm-hmm. to, to to watch week to week. But uh, yeah, sorry, Raf. Just talking about players. It's interesting to see how Robbie Brady does this season because I mean, I, I think Stephen Kenny is still a. Uh, still an admirer of the player. So, you know, there's a few Irish lads there at Preston now. So I'm mean, obviously the championship being probably as competitive as ever. You know what I mean? But it'd just be interesting to see, can Brady, can Brady find his way back into the international uh, setup as well? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, Josh Cullen as well. Um, you know, um, as, as mentioned there by Conan, it was, Brilliant. Like I watched a good bit of that Burnley game on Friday night against Huddersfield. He was mm. uh, brilliant in that sort of quarterback role um, in front of the defence and then just sort of hanging back. But uh, also Dara Costello was worth watching. Um, obviously Limerick native, would have started out Galway United, still only 19. Mm. Was on the bench uh, when Jackson was in charge of Burnley, just when they uh, fell out with the Premier League. But mm. now he's made his first team debut. So he's another one to watch and just sort of what Aaron Conley said about potentially being the forgotten man. There's always there's always mm. new players uh, coming through, potentially uh, taking place. So Burnley would be worth watching as well. Obviously, Luke McNally was on the bench for them too. So 
We'll see how he develops after his move uh, earlier this summer. But uh, elsewhere, before we go, uh, Dalyman Park, obviously there was a bit of an update in terms of the redevelopment plans over there. Obviously, rising costs, as we know, with inflation and everything else. Um, it was The original development plan was sort of running over in and around the, the 50 million mark. So that's been abandoned by Dublin City Council. And now there are two options. So one of them being a scaled back version of the original plan or the other one being to refurbish the Jody stand, build a new main stand and then add two terraces. And uh, Daniel Lambert, the chief operating officer, was on Saturday Sport uh, over the weekend. And he was outlining actually that the friendly that they did at Union Berlin uh, earlier this summer mm. seemed to at least spark an idea in terms of the uh, you know terraces being a potential future, you know, uh, in terms of structure of a stadium, terraces are something that we're, we're looking at. And uh, actually just on that, Gary, in terms of the what that Dalyman Park might look like with with terraces, you know, it's something that's coming back within European football. Obviously, it's been something taken out with the, the move to all-seater for safety reasons, but um, it does add to an atmosphere in the ground. Yeah, I think, look, I think the most important thing with terraces is that they're not too full. And I think, you know, it's far more manageable these days. I think, you know, the days of, of packing everyone into the sun, you see the pictures of old daily events and the amount of people that were there, you wouldn't think there was that many people in Dublin, but they were all in daily for games back in the day. So I think, yeah, there's certainly, you know, a case to be had for terraces being being in football. I think you know, a lot of people, you go to games anyway, they like standing and watching football as it is. So, um, you know, I think the most important thing is that they can make a decision on this and, and, and move on and get the ball rolling. Like, as you said, it'd be great if they did it 20 years ago and they wouldn't be complaining about rising costs, but it's just, it, it's, you know, our, our league and our infrastructures they need redevelopment all over the country like some clubs have done brilliant work like like you look at Sligo Rovers the showgrounds you know a community club down there and it's a fantastic ground and it it, it, it serves the needs of that club like you know it's not full every week but like there would have been probably could have sold it twice the other day but like our league needs you know better infrastructure I think it's the one thing that less is there and would have mentioned it loads of times before you look at the top two teams playing in the Aviva Stadium with 50,000 people there, you look at that as a product and you say, yes, we have a product, we have an industry here. But then you take the same two teams and you put them into, uh, 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 some of the clubs would be annoyed if I mentioned their grounds, but if you put them into one of the lesser grounds, uh, uh, like even, even not a former like, ground of yours, guys. Yeah. 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 They're, all, they're, all, they're all former grounds of mine. <laughs> mm. But you put them into any of their grounds and you go, oh, this is crap. Because the stadium, when you look at you look at what's around you and it, it just devalues the product on the pitch because we've got great players playing in this league, playing really good style of football. And then when you put them into the stadiums at the rain, it just doesn't look right. And it doesn't look, it's not selling their product to, to, to uh, and highlighting the potential that there is here. So look, whatever decision there is to be made, whether it be terraces or, or, or scale down version, you'd like it to be made and, the, and it's a start because we need it. We don't just need it at one club. We probably need it at four, five, six clubs. Yeah, and the time scale, I think, uh, from what Daniel Lambert was saying, was that they would be hopefully, or bowls would be moving in in 2027. And a final mention as well, I was chatting to Lee Desmond, uh, I think it was back in the spring, don't quote me on which month it was, because everything kind of blends together at this stage when you're working from home. Um, but uh, Lee Desmond, obviously, as was mentioned, that uh, FAI Cup final back in November where Pats won it, he was obviously a key part of that defensively. And uh, I was chatting to him earlier this year about going to Sacramento Republic and all the logistics and everything that came with it and the, the roots of the move. But himself and Dan Casey, who had moved there from, from Bowles uh, the year the year previous, both of them are going to be playing in a cup final. And this one is the US Open Cup final, Sacramento Republic being the first. And 
I don't want to say non-league because that's not how it works in the mm. United States, but the not first non-MLS uh, team to uh, to make the finals since 2008. So the two of them and Sacramento Republic will be playing Orlando City, who also have an Irish player called Jake Mulraney in the squad as well. So that I think is taking place in September. So uh, that's going to be worth watching from our point of view as well. And a final mention as well to Glenn Whelan, who I think Joy Barton, uh, at Bristol Rovers, uh, the manager there obviously has brought Whelan in as part of the staff. He'll still be registered as a player, but tipped as a future Ireland boss there, Conan. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how he gets on because like with, with Bristol Rovers and and Joey Barton and the way they play, it's not. it, it would have to be a, a huge change in, in formation and dynamic to what we're used to now with Stephen Kenny. So uh, let's just see how... Uh, how Stephen does first before we jump to conclusions about Glenn Whelan. But look, he's had given tremendous service to the to the boys in green. And um if the opportunity arises and he does really well in 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 coaching at at Bristol Rovers in League One and then ultimately gets in gets a, a senior job, yeah, you'll never know. But um mm. he definitely have the experience for for international football anyway, considering the amount of caps that he's won. But anyway, that brings us uh, to an end. So uh, Jim, thanks for no worries. On. No worries. And then uh, Conan and Gary uh, was good crack uh, today. Plenty to talk about, and obviously a lot of good games to look forward to this week.